Welcome to Genuine Life Recovery. We're here to help you and your loved ones overcome addictions and other addiction-related mental health challenges. In this show, we dive into the physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual aspects of addiction, mental health, recovery, family dynamics, codependency, and more. You can listen on your favorite app or at jodystevens.org. Genuine Life Recovery is made possible by great friends like Joshua's Heart in memory of Joshua Brent Moore, bringing hope, love, and awareness to those afflicted by addiction online at joshesheart.org and Jody Stevens Productions for commercial voiceover, narration, production, MC, and public speaking online at jodystevens.org. Welcome back. I am Jody Stevens and I am joined by Maureen Towns. Maureen is a parenting and family consultant. She is also author of the book Broken Open, A Mother's Journey to Survive Her Children's Addiction and Mental Illness. So Maureen, thank you so much for being willing to come on the podcast and talk with us about this much needed but also difficult topic or topics as it were. <laughs> well, thanks Jody. It's my pleasure to uh, to be here. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about being a parent of kids struggling with addictions and mental illness. We're going to be talking about boundaries and how to take care of ourselves and how to develop better coping skills or less codependent um, parenting tendencies. What is codependency? What really is it? Right? There's so many definitions. So um, I'm excited for this show. And Maureen, I found you on some other podcasts, was listening to your story. I was very moved by it and uh, can see that you've done a lot of work in this area. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, I've done a lot of work. It's been a, it's been a journey. So kind of give us your 10 minute version. You know, we all have stories that are, you know, a lifetime or a half a lifetime of just being a mom with kids with addictions and mental health issues. Yeah. So I have four children and, um, mm -hmm. you know, I was married, four kids, you know, we're trucking along, busy parents, like, like all parents are, and everything seemed to be going sort of on track for us. You know, the kids yeah. were growing and we'd, we'd moved across the country. We live in Canada, so we'd moved across the country, and uh, my career was in nursing. And so I was a nurse and got these four kids, and everything seems to be going great, until I noticed our, you know, we'd launched our first son, um, our oldest boy, and he'd, mm -hmm. head, he'd headed off to university and was at university and and seemed to be thriving in his first year of university. And um, But his, his younger brother, who's a year behind him, was in high school and not doing very well, not thriving. And seemed to be, you know, going from a very active, busy kid involved in sports uh, to a sort of withdrawn kid who, you know, quit all the sports teams and seemed only interested in partying. Mm -hmm. And I was very frustrated with him. I just thought he lacked some direction and, and uh, thought that what I needed to do was kind of give him a bit of a boost into some sort of post-secondary schooling. And... It wasn't working, and along with it not working, we noticed him losing weight rapid, rapidly and mm -hmm. sort of disappearing almost for days at a time we wouldn't see him. Not that he was mm -hmm. gone all that time, but that he would come home when we weren't there and then be gone when we were. And then we noticed him come home and sleep for long periods of time and it just seemed to be degrading health-wise and didn't mm -hmm. really know what to do. 
started looking into it and, and realized that maybe this kid was using some drugs. He was lying a lot. He was avoiding us. And so kind of came to the conclusion that we thought he was using drugs, but we weren't really sure. And we weren't really sure what or how much, didn't know much about addiction, but started to ask around a little bit and, and look into, we, we spoke with an interventionist in the States. And, and I remember him saying, stop being so concerned with figuring out what he's using and how much. And I just want to ask you one question, is he thriving? And I said, no, he's not. He's not thriving. And we're terrified. We're terrified. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what to do. And so we knew that he used pot, you know, but I mean, he, he used a lot more than that. And so we did an intervention and sent him off to drug treatment. That was a really, really, really tough time. And while he was gone in treatment, our youngest daughter started to self-harm. She started cutting. We didn't know what to do with that either. And so we were sort of seeking some some counseling for her. And then the summer after, so Ben, then, you know, our, our second son came home from drug treatment. Our daughter's still cutting. Our oldest son comes home for the summer from university and has a psychotic break. And uh, it's drug-induced. It's either drug-induced or the first signs of schizophrenia is what we learn. Right. And mm-hmm. so we, you know, we're told, and, and he's told, you need to stop using all substances for about a year before we'll know whether the psychosis that you're experiencing is related to drugs or, or some other uh, condition. And so um, he couldn't seem to stop using the drugs. And we thought, yeah. huh, I think this kid's got an addiction problem as well. And so... I mean, I'm oversimplifying the the journey. I mean, it was yeah, absolute yeah. devastation and chaos. And and um, you know, I said our second son had had come home from uh, treatment and relapsed during this time. And and you know, we we held firm to some boundaries and told him he needed to move out. And then he was in and out and in and out. You know, Sam's being put on our oldest is being put on antipsychotics and sort of not himself and sort of you know sitting on the sofa. Um, just short of drooling all day and not able to go back to university. And Allie um, is continuing to self-harm and cut. And our other daughter, Sydney, our the third uh, child, is uh, hiding out in her room, quite frankly, you know, just away from all the devastation and chaos. And it was a really, really, and that was a beginning sort of of our journey into a really tough, I would say maybe really hard three to five years of not sure our kids were going to make it. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. And so what was going on for you at this time, you know, as a, as a parent and you're thinking, wow, we've kind of feel like we've done all, you know, we've made all the right moves, right. And this sort of thing is going on. There was lots of denial and then um, lots of, you know, questioning and laying awake at night and worrying and wondering how we'd screwed our kids up. Mm-hmm. so badly and I, I you know I wrote this in the book as well you know I remember saying to my my husband this sounds really awful when I say it but this is what I really thought I thought you know there are a lot of stupid people out there raising kids and they're doing just fine and we're not stupid what's going on here like you know on paper everything looks good everything should be working out and it's not and I don't know where we've failed them you know but we clearly have like something we've either done something or not done something that has led us here. And, and so then that puts me then into shame and fear and really trying to control and manage and, you know, adjust my position and try this and try that. I tried, you know, the friendly parent, the, the friend parent, the harsh 
morality parent, the boundary parent, you know, the, the rules, this is how it's going to be the toe to toe tough guy, mm-hmm. you know, um, you got to get out of here. Oh my God. You know, maybe, maybe they need to come back in and live with us. Maybe we need to, you know, we tried everything during that time. I was becoming very unwell, I'll say. Yeah. Um, frantic. I mean, driving around in my car looking for my kids because mm-hmm. there were periods of time when Ben was homeless. Just awful. Honestly, we, we, we were in quite a quite a mess. And, you know, checking Allie for sharps, you know, before she goes to bed, checking yeah. her room, you know, taking bloody Kleenex out of her room, checking her arms, checking her legs, just hyper vigilant and getting nowhere nowhere Mm. fast and just honestly in all of that destroying my relationship with my kids in the process and having no energy or time to focus on my relationship with my husband either there was a lot going on there wow so you were doing a lot of trying to control the situation it sounds like yeah yeah like i mean i i really identified strongly as a as a like i'm a caregiver Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm strong. I'm a problem solver. And so I went at everything with that mindset. You know, I can mm-hmm. figure this out and I can solve it. And if I work hard enough, I can fix it. I just mm-hmm. need to keep trying and keep trying to figure them out. And I, you know, the lesson learned in all of that is that you can't, you can't control anyone. You're going to kill yourself trying. And I was, like I said, very, very unwell. And it's so hard, though, when it's your children. You know, my brother died of, you know, his addiction. And and so I watched, you know, my mom go through all of that as well. And I, I had a friend whose therapist said to her, she said, you know, you have to do what you can live with. You know, so often it would be like, well, what should we do about him? And what should we do? And then I would say, well, you should do this. And then they wouldn't do it. And this thing just continued to to go on and on and on. And as I look back, then I realize, well, there was really no one to blame. It was really no one's fault. We just had this pattern of dysfunctional of addiction or codependent relating skills that sort of went from generation to generation. And so it wasn't that there was anybody specifically to to, to blame. It was just, it, it was so hard. And I look back and I think, you know, this was nobody's fault. There was a lot of things, right? You should have done different or my mom should have done different. We all should have done something different, right? But in the end, you have to do what you can live with. We can have these tough love boundaries, but but they also need to ebb and flow where we have some boundaries, but we also have some consequences and where we're allowing people to do what they can live with. I love what you're saying about you you need to do what you can live with. And when I was learning about addiction, there was, you know, you run into a lot of information and some of Mm -hmm. it doesn't work well, didn't work well for me, I'll say. And some of it, something that didn't work well for me was tough love and the idea that anything enabling is bad and anything tough love is good, you know, raise the Mm -hmm. bottom and, you know, those kinds of concepts of, of, you know, you need to put some things in place to make it really bad for the, the, the addicted person. And, and, and I don't want to say addict, (laughs) I say addicted person person with addiction. (laughs) Um, So that they, so that they change. I don't subscribe to that and I don't teach that and I don't coach to that. I do very much coach to do what you can live with. And yeah, so for yeah. that reason, you know, I, the way I, that I say it's a little bit different, do whatever you need to do so that you can sleep at night. 
and your boundaries can shift and change. Right. And that's okay too. It's a process. And, so, and, and today this might not be okay, but tomorrow it might be exactly what you need to do so that you can sleep at night. Mm-hmm. It's okay that they change. And I think when we change our behavior, oftentimes the behavior of our loved ones change to some degree too. And of course, you know, when we're trying to get people to change, they're naturally going to be resistant. So we have to figure out, you know, what are some strategies, right, to help our loved ones change, right, and and tap into their own intrinsic motivation of wanting to change, right? If I say, Maureen, you you just got to stop and nobody's going to talk to you, you know, you're going to be very resistant to that type of change. I've given up on the idea that I can change anyone or that I ought to. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I really have. I think that um, there's a codependent cycle in here mm-hmm. that needs to be addressed because it is a dysfunctional and toxic pattern of, be, of of interacting, of having a relationship. But we come by it honestly. Like it's it's it comes from the best of places. Mm-hmm. It is a learned behavior that starts often very, very young. So when you grow up in a home in which your safety is dependent on how well the people around you are doing mm-hmm. or how they see you, then it's yeah. very, very normal and natural that you develop a pattern of relating to other people in which you are excessively dependent on how people are, other people are doing for your sense of self and sense of well-being. That's codependence, right? This, mm-hmm. this excessive, in my mind, that's what, when I refer to yeah. codependence, that's what I'm referring to. This excessive dependence on how other people are doing in order to, to know how I'm doing. So I need you to be okay for me to be okay. Yeah. And so you can spot a codependent mother, you know, by when you say to a mom, how are you doing? They'll tell you how their kids are doing. Right. Yeah. Or if, you know, I've heard it also said a codependent mother is only as healthy as her sickest kid. Mm, And that's a terrible way to live because you have no control over it. So you are always at the mercy of how your kids are doing. Mm. And so yeah. if your kids are suffering, you're suffering. And we talk, we talk about this as riding the roller coaster. If your kids are doing well, you're doing well. It's a horrible way to live. I felt like I was getting, you know, skating along and then getting knocked into the boards. I'm in Canada, so I use hockey, hockey imagery in my... Alaska, that's where I grew up. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, this is the this is the pattern that develops. And I think that you know, I became very, very resentful because I felt like I had done all the right things to create happy, healthy kids, and they weren't fulfilling their end of the bargain, which was to make me feel like a good mom. And so now I'm I'm angry and resentful that you're not doing well, yeah. despite my best efforts. And I and now I'm really in despair and shame because I don't know what to do to change it. And And I mean, if you talk about the communication pattern, this has popped into my head when you were talking too, codependents are born rescuers, right? We're, yeah. I had a cape and boots. I was a nurse, right? I mean, yes. I had a career that, <laughs> oh yeah, a career that, you know, just sort of fed that need in me yeah. to save the day. And I was good at it. I could control some environments, you know, to help people do well. And then I got a great sense of uh, well-being from that. So then I go home though, and I'm doing all these things and it's not working. My kids are yeah. deteriorating despite all my best efforts to control and manage and, and intervene. Mm-hmm. And 
what it does when you when you're a natural rescuer is create dependence in your kids, right? Yeah. So if you step in to save me, I now believe that I need you to save me when I'm not doing well because that's the message you're giving me, right? I'm I, you're right. teaching mm-hmm. me that you can save the day, not me. Yeah, it kind of creates this sort of victim mentality, sort of the the bite the hand that feeds you. So you definitely, we definitely see that, you know, when we do the enabling, and then we look at the person struggling with addiction, and it's like, why are they so angry? Why are they, why are they? <laughs> you know, I'm giving them money, I'm giving them everything, but deep down, it's like. They, they know that and you're right. So it does create that dependency. But back to, I love your your definition of codependency. There's this book, it's, a, it's an older book, it's called Lost in the Shuffle. I don't know if you've read it by Robert yeah. Subby, The Codependent Reality. So like in psychology, we call it having um, no, no internal locus of control, right? Yeah. So, to where it's like, I don't really know who I am and who I am is dependent on all these sorts of things outside of myself. I love that definition, but he has this... Uh, picture of a a big, huge person. And then inside the big person is the little person, which is like the real self. And then the person on the outside is this big person where it's, you know, take care of everything. Don't talk about your feelings, you know, be perfect, you know, do all these sorts of things. Right. And so, but then at the end of the day, we don't really know who we are because maybe we've never dealt with those type of emotions growing up or that sort of thing. Right. That cycle continues. And so it sounds like that's what was happening for you to where I don't really know who I am, but if my kids are good and I'm doing all this good stuff, then I'm good. But otherwise I'm not. And then you've got now all this anxiety because that's so, I was that way, but very much like as a performer, because I did radio forever and it was always you know, if the boss likes me this day, I'm good. If um, if I do have a good performance, then I'm good. But if I mess up and say something dumb, then I'm not good. And so you're always having this, this free-floating anxiety, mm-hmm. right? Because you can't control how people are reacting or how good your kids are doing, right? And then we yeah. kind of pass that on to them, that you know, you got to be okay so I can be okay. And then, yeah. and then pretty soon the kids probably don't want to share their feelings because it might upset mom or something like that, right? Oh, how many people do you come across on a daily basis that protect other people from their feelings? Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is what this makes me, this makes me a little bit crazy when I see it. They'll say, well, we probably shouldn't tell so-and-so about that right now because they're having a hard time, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's all, again, it's from a really good place. It's from a place of, you know, well-meaning, but you're treating the person like they're not able to handle their own feelings and responses. And, and so I am really careful about Mm -hmm. not doing that, quite frankly, other people are other people and they can handle things. And I am not here to protect or manage how that goes for people. I can't. Yeah. It's tempting. Don't get me wrong. I'm still predisposed to it, but I, I do catch myself and uh, make a conscious effort not to. Yeah. So you were doing a lot of the rescuing, probably quite a bit of enabling behavior. What was that like on a day-to-day basis? And what was sort of the turning point for you where it became a situation where you were realizing 
okay, I'm part of the this dynamic and I need to get some help for myself. Because sometimes when I talk to moms, they'll be telling me the whole story of their kids and I'll say, well, there's some really good meetings and I'd love to see you take care of yourself. And it's like deer in the headlight. Like, what oh, are yeah. you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's almost like a whole new paradigm. I would have been huge. Well, I, and I was quite um, on guard and offended uh, at the implication that there was something that I needed to do differently. I'm doing everything right. And I feel quite just, I felt very, very justified in um, feeling like crap and like a victim. So I'm a rescuer, but I'm switching to victim as we do, you know, like this back and forth. You know, I'm now a victim of the fact that my kids won't get better and take advantage of all the opportunities I'm giving them. And so I, you know, and so the implication that I needed to do something different was really, I couldn't hear it. And, and Mm. I, and I come across parents as well um, that can't hear it either. And so I start with, you know, this idea, like we talked about, uh, you can't control anyone, but there is freedom if you can learn to relate to someone who's struggling in a different way. And I want that freedom for other parents, freedom from the roller coaster that I described earlier, and also freedom from the codependent, which is a a very toxic and damaging uh, cycle of relating to other people. I have to be quite honest. I didn't, you know, wake up one day and say, hey, I need to do something different. What I woke up and said was, I'll do anything to get these kids better including go to to a treatment program in which I am forced to participate for almost a year. I will do it. I'll show up for your meetings. I'll show up for your dumb sing songs. I'll clean the bathrooms. I don't care what it is. I'll cook turkeys. I don't care. I will participate in whatever it is. If you could just take these kids away from me and Mm -hmm. make them better, please. Mm -hmm. And by that point, don't even give them back to me at the end. I don't want them back. I can't do it anymore. I'm done. I've done everything I can do. And they were at that age. I mean, the boys were 20 and 21 years old by that time. So they, they were, they were adults. It's not like they were 13 and 14, but through group therapy sessions and some one-on-one sessions at the treatment center that we were at in which I was gently (laughs) and sometimes not so gently given the opportunity to look at my own behaviors and how those affected the people around me and mm-hmm. contributed to the chaos in our home and the dysfunction yeah. in our home. It didn't cause my kids addiction, but it certainly contributed and it and had an influence on the relationships that I had with my kids and my sense of self. And so that's where I was invited to try something different. I knew that I knew that I couldn't keep relating to my kids in the same way that I had been because I like I say I got to the point where I didn't even want them back. I wanted them to go to treatment, get fixed, and then launch from there. I think the, my relationship with my kids was pretty damaged, I, I would say, at that point. It wasn't healthy in any way, and I was not doing well, you know, not sleeping well at night, obsessing about how they were doing in treatment. Like, now that they're out of my house, now I'm driving by the treatment center trying to see them, you know, that's yeah. when you really know you got a problem. And in that process, you probably weren't even in touch with what you wanted or what you needed. What was no idea. Was there kind of something during that treatment that smacked you over the head? Because when I say this sorts of things to moms or people, it's more when I've watched like my own mother deteriorate to where she never did recover. And I'm looking at it as 
you got to save yourself right you yeah. you can't you can't save your your kids you can certainly do do many things to to help them but at some point right we have to save ourselves there was one moment that was a that was a one of the turning points i had many moments of i would call them grace in mm-hmm. which i was able to see things differently suddenly yeah. and it was like eye opening so the first one was before treatment even happened we were at an al-anon meeting there was a woman there and and we were struggling with our second son at this point. He'd been in our home, out of our home, in our home, out of our home, in our home, out of our home and, and not doing well. And so I, I had learned that, you know, I can't live with him, but I don't want to live without him either. So how do I, how do I find the right way to manage him, but not have him in my house? Mm -hmm. And so this was my disordered thinking of the time. And we're sitting at this meeting and there's a woman at the meeting and she's talking about her son you know, her son is struggling and he's now on her sofa and he's not thriving and she's, you know, losing money every day because she's not working and she's cashing investments to try and support him and get him into treatment. And I thought, I've got it. It came to me quickly. I thought it's perfect. We'll put those two kids together in a condo or something. We'll rent them an apartment together. We'll split the costs with this woman we'll be able to afford another apartment and we'll know where he is and that he's safe and he's got a roof over his head and he's not living on the street and she can rest assured. So we know that we don't want them in our house, but we, we can have them live somewhere else. So after the meeting, I ran up to her and I said, you know, Hey, um, at this point, it sounds like you're sort of bargaining with your addiction. Well, I'll kind of, we'll put him here, but then I can still control it. It reminds me of before my brother passed, my mom, she was like, she was like, well, you know, we just want to make sure if we leave you any money that we have to put a contingency in the will that he's always taken care of so that, so that even when we're dead, we want to make sure that you're still, you know, making sure that he's, he's being kept alive, you know, and and, (laughs) love you, mom. I mean, I can laugh at that now, but it just, I just hear this almost like, like bargaining with my alcohol. Yeah, right. There's yeah. no good solution. So I'm going to create one. I need to know that they're fine, but I can't have them with me. So I ran up to her and I said, hey, I really related to your story. And, you know, I have an 18 year old son. And how old's your son? And she said something like 42. And I was 42 at the time. And I just, I think my jaw dropped. And I thought, holy crap, like, my kid's 18. And hers is 42. And we're in the same boat. And if I don't do something differently, if I don't do something different, I'm going to be in the same spot I'm in today when he's 42. And it also was an eye-opening because I I had sort of lowered the bar for my kid, right? This kid, he's he's 18, but he's not able to do it himself. That's why I've got to help him out and I've got to do this for him because he's got this problem. Poor, 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 poor Ben, you know. But when you hear of someone doing the same sort of thing at the age when you are, and you're kind of going, what? No way this kid should be on his mother's sofa at 42 and da, da, da. So it was a real moment of awakening for me in terms of I got to do something different. So fast forward now, we're in treatment. Two boys are in treatment and and we've got, and we're doing this family treatment program. And I'm, I'm really quite attached to the story that I've got about what a great mom I am. And I'm looking for some validation for that, by the way. Like, I'm like, yeah, like somebody's got to, I'm a great mom, right? I'm a great mom, right? Like somebody's got to like feed this because I'm so, it's so fragile. And I, um, 
am really good at mustering up some indignation from the other parents when I tell them about all the hardships we've been through. And so I'd like Mm -hmm. to go back even to when I was born. Let's start there with the kind of trials that I've overcome over the years. And, you know, not many people are as strong as I am, but, you know, here's what I've done, everybody. And, uh, you can uh, congratulate me after the meeting. So that, so I get up and I'm, I'm really yeah. kind of in my element at the front of the room and, and talking about telling these stories that are, are getting people, you know, quite worked up. And, and I can see it working. Like I can see the other parents are shaking their head and even crying. And like, I'm, re- I'm really getting into it. And the facilitator of that meeting, the uh, clinical director of the program was working that night and she said, okay. She said, okay. Yep. 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 You get to have all of that. You get to have all of that, but I want to tell you a little story. And she said, so she said, my mom is the mother of addicts as well. And I'm one of them. She said, there's, you know, we have four kids in our family too. And one of us is in recovery and the other one is not. And and he's still a wall. No one knows where he is. And she said, and so my mom had us all over for Easter. And so three of her four kids are there and healthy and thriving and doing well and there to celebrate Easter with her. But she's having no joy. She cannot participate in any of the appreciation and gratitude because she's preoccupied the entire time with the one kid who is out using. And that's all she can talk about. And she's sad and she's devastated. And she said, and, and then I started to get kind of mad because I thought she was being critical of her mother who has lived this hard life. And so I said, I got to tell you, I'm getting a little bit angry on behalf of your mom right now. And mm-hmm. she said, tell me more about that. And I said, she's done, she spent her whole life, you know, speaking from my perspective, yes. her whole life, you know, killing herself for you guys. And, and you've yeah. got the nerve to criticize her for being sad and devastated that her son is out on the street. She said, Oh, no, no, I'm not criticizing her. She has every right to be sad and angry, as do you. But I just want to ask you, is that how you want to live? Oh, that hit hard for a couple of reasons. One, because no, it isn't how I want to live. And second, she's telling me I've got a choice. And I was like, what? I didn't feel like I had a choice. I felt like yeah. I, was a, I was a victim of, of the fact that my kids weren't doing well, despite the fact that I'd done everything right. And right. so this idea that I have a choice in, in what I focus on and how I, how I live, no matter how my kids are doing, was like a slap mm-hmm. upside the head. And, and I decided then, I would say, I decided that day, if there's something better out there, I want it. Yeah. And I will do what it takes to get it. Oh, thank you for that. That was so good because it is such a hard journey because you're you're having to break that codependent pattern of who am I and how do I separate from them? And yeah. how do I then get out of the victim mentality where I can be productive and powerful with without the need of them doing well and their approval? When I look at my trying to overcome that, I always say it was like taking a needle from a junkie. Like it was once I removed the alcohol for me, 10 years later, I realized the codependency. And and (laughs) and um, I think you have to 
actually work through to the other side of that emotion? Because I think most parents, they just can't go there. So like with my brother, it was like, let's just keep him alive. And so we kept him alive till he was 48. And then when he did die, he died anyway. And he might have died 20 years ago, but it was like, just, just, we can't face that he could die. And I think sometimes as hard as it is, is we have to kind of face that and say, well, that could happen. The worst case scenario could happen. Then what? Anybody can die. If you can get to the other side of that, right? I think yeah. that's what you were getting at is you had to get to where you yeah. could you could say, if this happens, can I still live? Can I still yeah. survive, right? Absolutely. And it, and it was really, really hard. I didn't, our society does not promote letting go yeah. uh, that's necessary for mothers. Our society applauds you know, mothers who put their own needs aside for the sake of their family, yeah. um, that put everyone yeah. else first, that didn't look after themselves. We applaud those mothers that never take care of their own needs. And it's so unhealthy. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and it was, yeah, it was hard. It was hard to, you, you talk about taking a needle from a junkie. It was terrifying to let go, like I, I call it a story, but it really was my identity wrapped up in that story. Yeah. That was, if I'm not going to be the strong, controlling, problem-solving mom, what am I all about? And, and it was such a journey to discover that. I remember in treatment, same treatment center, them telling me to, I need to look after myself. And I, and I was like, I don't, I don't even know what that means. Like I, I had a haircut, I had nail, nails done, and I had massages every now and again. I thought that was self-care. I had no clue about, you know, losing yourself in, in an activity or, or something that brings you joy. Yeah. Like I had to, I had to, it was, I had to go at it like a project. So what brings me joy? I don't even remember. Right. I don't even remember. I'm like, okay, did I, I honestly, I would sit around and think, okay, who am I? <laughs> did I ever sew? Did I read books? Did I garden? What did I do? Did I knit? Yeah, did, yeah. I knit? did I go for walks? Like how, where do I even start? Yeah. And I had to kind of go at it like an experiment. Okay. Well, I'm going to try a few things and see what I like. Honestly, couldn't remember. Recovery is coming back to yourself. You know, it's like, who am I? What do I like? What do I want? And once we can kind of establish that and, and get healthy, then then we can sort of integrate back into that situation, whether it's the family, the kids, without our identity being wrapped up into it. But I mean, for you, you probably had to step away, completely away for a time, get healthy, and now you can probably integrate back into their lives in a way that's healthier. You're stronger in that you know who you are, what you need and what you can and can't live with, you know. Absolutely. Like it was, you know, you talk about coming back to yourself. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I would, like, I think I, there, there was a reason why I don't, I didn't know what brought me joy because I don't know that I'd ever learned it. So it was a whole, like, I don't even know if I was coming back to myself so much as I was trying to find myself. Yeah, you know, that's true. That's all true. Of that. yeah. And I, I just don't know if I ever really knew it. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, like you say, you, you stopped using alcohol and then 10 years later realized, you know, there was a codependent pattern there. I have yet yeah. to meet a recovering, a person in recovery who doesn't have codependent tendencies and patterns for sure. Yeah, I always think it's it's the same thing. We always say oh, yeah. you, you take the the addiction away from the addict and you have a codependent. 
Absolutely. (laughs) It's very much the same thing because you still feel alone. You still feel you're not really sure who you are. You're still trying to get your needs met outside of yourself. And so it's the same kind of concept, you know, like I I always think of like Robin Williams, who would say, you know, he felt alone in a crowd, you know, is this, it's the same kind of thing where you still feel alone and you're still trying to get those, you know, external needs met. So it's all really kind of, I feel like it's rooted very much in the same thing, you know, very much so. And I didn't know how to connect with myself. So how could I possibly connect with anyone else? Right. Until I had to, I had to learn how to connect with me before I can connect with anybody around me in in a really authentic way. Mm -hmm. That's true. Without being a performer or a manager or a controller, like that's how I showed up. And so it was, um, it was hard to, I had to relearn it all. Have to just kind of show up authentically. Yeah. So now you are working with other families, moms with children struggling with addictions or mental illness or things like that. What are some of the issues and challenges that they are bringing to you? A lot of what I have already talked about, some of the things that I've yeah. done. So, mm-hmm. you know, my kid is not well. They're creating chaos in my home. I don't know how to manage it. I'm becoming unwell. I start to see that. I I, I can't live like this. Um, but I also can't let go. <laughs> right. And and I'm, I'm not okay with putting a boundary in place because the solution that I want isn't out there for me or for them. So the treatment center that I'm looking for uh, isn't available or accessible or whatever, you name it right? The solution doesn't seem to be out there. Therefore, I need to come up with something like rent them an apartment or a condo or find mm-hmm. them a place to live or like the same sort of patterns are what's being presented. Um, lots of confusion between rules and boundaries. You know, I'm doing this because I want them to change or are you doing this because that's what you need to be healthy, right? Mm-hmm. That's a boundary. I'm, I need, this is what I need in place to be healthy versus a rule, which is I'm going to put this thing, this, this, uh, I'm going to draw a line in the sand and it's meant to change your behavior. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so it's a comp- like lots of confusion there. Um, lots of people just really needing almost permission to develop boundaries because yeah. they feel mean or like it's, you know, or they're buying into their kids Uh, story, which is you're mean and you're creating all my problems and you're Mm. doing this to me and how dare you and a good mother wouldn't do this. How do you do this to me? Yeah. yeah. Mm. So they're buying into some of that and they need some perspective on it. Um, And lots of of people out there too still get in touch with me because they're they're trying to find um, treatment and just don't, like they're just lost in the the jungle. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't know what they're looking for. They don't know how to find what, like, what are the characteristics of a good treatment center? How do I advocate for my kid? How do I navigate the system? Um, Lots of questions about, is it okay to put a boundary in place or, or to tell my child that they can't live with me and they've never been in treatment or had treatment before. And and that's harsh. I think you've got to offer, I think this is my belief, you know, what, what can you do to, to sleep at night, you've got to be able to, you've got to be firm. Maybe they aren't going to live with you, but you, you will offer something. Right. Yeah. Right. If they're yeah. willing, if they're willing to do the work, this is what you will support. Mm-hmm. Talk to me like about boundaries. What are, so what are just some best ways to set boundaries 
And what do those boundaries look like? And also kind of how to stop some of these codependent parenting tendencies. I think we look at boundaries maybe in an incorrect way. A boundary that I've learned for myself Mm -hmm. is that I will, I'm happy to support my kids in achieving whatever it is they want to achieve, but I'll never do more work than they will. Mm. Yeah, that's good. For whatever it is. So that's yeah. just so that's a, just a gauge mm-hmm. for me. So, you know, my temptation is to swoop in and, and fix everything, right? Mm-hmm. You know, for example, I might say, you're, you know, my, kid is, my kid's unhappy. Okay, no problem. Why don't you come stay with me for a while and I'll cook you some healthy meals and do all your laundry and manage mm-hmm. your schedule and maybe we'll update your resume and then I'll take you to ho- job hunting and then we'll, you know, or whatever it is, like I'll do all these things for you. Yeah. Yeah. Because it feeds my, my desire to nurture my kids. I love Mm -hmm. nurturing my kids to a point. Um, But if I'm doing more work and putting more effort in than they are, that's Mm -hmm. a problem for me. I know that that's going to be a disaster actually, because I want it more than they do. I'm not letting them earn the win. Yeah. So that's just one of the boundaries that I've, that I have with my kids. I'm also really careful about when I'm tempted to give money or time or emotional energy towards something, I have to think about if there's a, an expectation attached to it. I have to dig deep. Like, is there an unspoken mm-hmm. expectation that I have to what this they're going to do with that or how yeah. what that's going to lead to? And if there is, then I know that that is not coming from a really healthy place, mm-hmm. that, I'm, that it's going to lead to resentment because there's an expectation attached to it. Yes. And I, and I need to let that go. That's really good. And I think there's, there's a, a line between the consequences and the tough love, but also the caring and the empathy. So I think that the, the two modes, right, kind of need to meet, you know, so we need to let the person struggling experience the consequences, but also meet them with empathy and understanding and trying to understand what is it about your situation that that's working for you help me kind of understand what's going on as opposed to throwing the shame and the blame and i think if we can mesh those two that can be super super helpful and i and i think that's i mean what my kids need from me is just that they need they need a cheerleader and they need someone who sees and hears them and appreciates and loves them for exactly who they are and so Mm -hmm. the way things show up now is that my kids may come to me or text me or show up or whatever and say man i just i'm i'm not doing well i'm struggling i have shame i have pain you know whatever it is and i can and i can talk to them about that and relate to it and even normalize some of it and then i can say things like man i i just it it's it hurts to see you hurting You know, I love you so much. And that's being honest and empathetic with them. Hurts to see you hurting. I want want to be really clear. You're not responsible for that hurt that I'm feeling. Mm, You don't need to do anything to change that. I can handle that. I've got that. I just want you to know that as your mom and someone who's really connected to you and who loves you, I feel with you and I'm okay and I'll handle it. And I know that you can handle it too, when you're ready. And if you need a hand, let me know. And we can talk about what that could look like. It's not, I feel awful, you need to change so that I don't feel awful. And it's not that that you're struggling and having pain and and I'm fine. I'm over here like a pillar of strength and it doesn't have any effect on me. That's not true either. But I get to be really honest and own my own feelings and open the door for support 
and a discussion around support, but it's not, I mean, I, I'm not a bottomless pit of money and I'm not <laughs> a bottomless pit of energy. Yeah. So yeah. it's something we can talk about what support can look like for you. Mm. What can I offer without resentment? That's good. That's good. Well, Maureen, I could talk to you for another hour. I feel like I, I sent you this outline and we didn't even cover like half of it, but uh, <laughs> I wanted to ask you for moms out there still struggling or moms and dads or parents or brothers and sisters that that have someone struggling with addiction or substance use disorders, we now call it, um, mm-hmm. or mental illness, what are some suggestions, advice, words of wisdom? My, my first thing is you're a good parent. Yeah. If you're even listening to this podcast, you care. I want to acknowledge that you're working your butt off, probably doing a lot of things really, really well and coming from a really good place. And the second is um, there is freedom out there for you um, from the kind of chaos and pain and laying awake at night and worrying and shame and embarrassment, all the things that come with this. Um, yeah. There's freedom from all of that for you if you're willing to work at it. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage you to really find your people. You're talking to your neighbor, talking to your friends or your coworkers. You might come across someone who gets you, um, but you might not. And 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 there's a lot of shame and 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 self judgment. You don't need that from anyone else yeah. along the way. And so I would encourage you to find your community um, because there's a lot of us out here, and um, and we're here to support you and listen to you and uh, and to help. Are the three awesome. things I think. Thank you. And and how can people get in touch with you as well if they want to reach out to you and maybe work with your program or read your book and things like that? Yeah, I'm not that hard to find actually. Um, no, Maureentowns.com. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, that's it. So you can find the book there. You can find me there. You can book a consult with me. Consults are free. I'm happy to talk to anyone, honestly. Awesome. And if I can't help you, if what I offer isn't what, what you need, I'll tell you that. I don't want to work with people that that I can't help and support. Um, but I will probably point you in a direction that, that could be helpful. So happy to do consults with people and chat with them. And, and honestly, everything I learned up till, hmm, let's say, 2017, 2018 is in this book. And so it's out there. So if, you, if you're looking for a a cheap and easy way to to poke into my brain that's it Uh yeah i'm easy to find awesome i love the name of the book broken open and maureen thank you for sharing such a delicate and um, difficult topic and i just so appreciate you coming on the show and joining us thank you so much thank you jody thank you for your perspective too it sounds like you've done quite quite a lot of work and and taken quite the journey as well so thanks for the work that you're doing too absolutely Thank you so much, friends, for listening to Genuine Life Recovery, playing on your favorite app or on my website at jodystevens.org. It's J-O-D-I-E-S-T-E-V-E-N-S, jodystevens.org. There you can check out my podcast, blog, recovery coaching info, speaking, and more. Check it out.